You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm looking forward to keeping going with our series. If you are a first-time guest with us this morning, we are all about Jesus. We're having this really cool time in this mini-series on our much bigger journey through the entire Bible start to finish. We're in the book of Matthew And what we're doing on our journey towards Easter is we're just like zooming in on that ministry of Jesus. So we started the first couple of weeks looking at the very beginning of his ministry. We looked at his baptism. We looked at his time in the wilderness. And then last week, Perla brought us through his choosing of 12 really close friends, disciples, apostles, um, the folks that were going to know everything about his ministry and carry it to the world after he ascended into heaven. And I don't know about you, but like, and even before that, we talked about those two messages on the Gospels, and I think we've been jamming. Like, I can't, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but like, this is hit in a new way. And so I just want to give you like 30 seconds to turn to the person next to you and tell them what has been just sticking in your heart about this series. If you're first time with us, just let someone share what's been so cool about it. So take 30 seconds. All right, guys. Well, if you haven't, had time to think about your main takeaway. Keep thinking on that. We'll have a couple more opportunities to chat with each other today. But I want to show you a picture of an arc of where we're going so you know. Joe, there's a, like a, that's it. So the next two weeks, today we're going to talk about Jesus's word. So I call that like the middle of his ministry. We started at the beginning. We're going to go to the middle. Imani's going to talk about healing. I'm so sorry, online folks. You're really, it's the bright light. I'm running away from it. And then we are going to spend the entire month of March talking about the end of Jesus' ministry, if you will, um, when he goes to the cross and rises again. And I don't know, I just am excited about that because we're going to spend a whole month on what usually the church spends two weeks on. So that's where we're headed in case that's important to you to know that. Um, But for now, let's dig into the words. What did Jesus say? Does anyone remember back from Perla's message, go into the recesses, go far, far back into January, what the two main themes or emphases, 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 about Jesus are in the book of Matthew. The two, what's a part of it, but there's two like primary things about Jesus. The lineage leans into it, but, hmm? Kind of. There's a slide for it, Joe, just a picture of the, with the question. Jesus as two roles he fills. Moses, Jesus, oh, you're on the, you know, that's like the teacher doing it. Jesus as the Messiah. Yeah, that's a huge theme in the book of Moses. And then the second theme is Jesus as Logan. Yes, but which prophet? The new Moses. It's okay. This is why it's good for us to go back to stuff, right, guys? It just is helpful to... There's so much in the the Gospels about Jesus. The two primary points that the writer of Matthew wants us to see about Jesus is that he is the Messiah. So when you were saying Savior and Son of God, like that's all part of it. And then the second piece is he's the new Moses. I think Tim headed that way, but you're welcome to grab him, April. And what does Moses do? If you've never read the Old Testament, we'll give you a quick like, this is what he does. He was the teacher who was equipped by God to rescue, right? God does the rescuing, but Moses is sort of the spokesperson, rescues Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the world, and then empowers them. He's the one who gives them the law. He's the deliverer of the law so that they can live in community with God and one another. That was Moses' job. 
And so Jesus, as the new Moses, is called to do those same things. And what's super interesting about the book of Matthew is that this is the one book that contains the brunt of what Jesus said. So if you're thinking about the red letters, Matthew has the most of the red letters. The author was obviously totally enamored with Jesus, loved him, followed him, was committed to him. But there was something about Jesus' words that really astonished the author of Matthew, so much so that he actually structures his book around five primary discourses or teachings. What does that remind you of in the New Testament, or the Old Testament? Five, the Torah, thank you, Joe. The Torah, those first five books of the Bible that we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, but there's a, there's a slide, Joe, with the, the, the five blocks of Jesus' teaching in Matthew. So the first one, the Sermon on the Mount, is the longest. <clears throat> the other ones are a little bit shorter. But these are the parts in Matthew where Jesus talks about a lot of topical things. This is what the kingdom is like, the Beatitudes. This is how you handle anger and forgiveness and divorce and all the things that, you know, happen in human life. He says, how do you do it from a kingdom perspective? And I just think that sparks the question for all of us. If Matthew was so intent on compiling this and showing Jesus as the new Moses, shouldn't we almost wonder, well, what is it that he's saying that is so significant? And I think we think that anyway, but I want to zoom in on it. We're not going to read all of those this morning. That would be a lot. For my birthday, I want to hold you captive for three days. Um, I'm not going to kidnap you. That's weird. Online folks are like, we picked a good day to stay home. Um, no, we're going to read just a couple snippets and, and more than anything, give you a context and a lens for you to read the whole book of Matthew on your own in. So Holy Spirit, you come and bring wisdom and clarity to the word. You, you unpack it with us. You give us revelation. And that's what we would like this morning is your heart and your understanding, and more than anything, the change that comes when you hit us with the truth. <laughs> so would you hit us with your truth and your grace this morning, Jesus? Amen. If you would love to turn there, I would love for you to turn there. We're going to read part of the Beatitudes, so that first section of text. If you need a Bible, we have real, like, hard copies on the seats in front of you. It would be the English if you go to the Blue Bible, it's page 472 we're going to start on. If you're the Red Spanish Bible, it's page 500. Because, yeah, I'm not going to read five blocks of teaching and get through it in 25 minutes. If I did that, there would be nothing of use. You'd just, well, I guess you'd be, that's not true. You'd be hearing the word of God read out loud, which is very useful. Um, there just would be none of, no other interpretation. But what we're going to do is read this part, because the, the Beatitudes in this Sermon on the Mount text the author of Matthew looked at this as like Jesus's seminal or foundational work. This was something that it spoke all the truth of the kingdom of God. And so he just compiles a lot of what was probably different things, different messages all together into this. And so this is the springboard to read the rest of it. So starting in Matthew 5, verses 1 to 2, and I am going to hop around a bit. He says, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them, saying, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. 
If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court, which is bad for all of us who drive. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. We laugh because it's true, right? 27, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we've already had the question of like, what does this remind you of in the Old Testament? And Joe answered the Torah, the moments of the Torah. Does it remind you of anything else from the Old Testament? Just to keep practicing that muscle of seeing Jesus as paralleling back. Yes, thank you. Yeah, very good, Anna. Book of Deuteronomy. Why? Book of law. Yeah. This sounds like the law. I mean, Jesus is saying, you've heard the law in some varying way. He keeps putting that up. Anything else it reminds you of? Somebody pulled something out two weeks ago, and I was like, I had not thought of that. So I'm just curious if anybody else makes any other parallels to the Old Testament. Mm, sure. Yeah. For those online, Matt was saying the Talmud or the the additional laws that were created by the religious folks that were not directly in, in the law. Yeah, really good. Good job doing the parallel work. Honestly, guys, that's what we we're trying to train ourselves to do in this series. Um, the There's a direct quotation from Exodus 19.3 that goes back to when Moses goes up the mountainside. So Jesus going up on, there were no real significant mountains near Jesus, lots of hills. Um, And so using that language was quite literally just meant to draw this parallel back to Moses and the moments of the law. Matthew is alluding to this really significant time in Israel's history when they're forming as a nation. It's their first time. They're coming together. God says, you are the nation of Israel now. And he's giving them the law, which is their guiding code of how to function as a society. Right? They've been living under Egypt's codes, and before that, they didn't have one. Remember, the ancient Near East, law code is essentially new. For the longest time, it was just oral traditions, or like, this is roughly the paradigm we want to exist around as a community. Stuff wasn't written in a book. This is the first time in like ancient Near Eastern history is like this time frame. We've got Hammurabi's code and you've got Israel forming codes. People are starting to actually articulate some form of structure to their community that they can go back to. And so Matthew's saying, hey, Jesus is kind of rewriting this. I wanted to do a mini quiz. We've already done some of it, but it's just fun to give you. Oh, yeah, isn't that a fun little, I don't know that Moses looked like that. If his beard was truly that square, he's like, <laughs> I'm just seeing him sitting there with scissors like, yeah. And then Jesus on the other side. Um, Moses and Jesus, there's meant to be this parallel between the two of them. So let's look at this quick mini quiz because, again, it's good for us to stretch our Old Testament muscles. Um, I was going to have you do it separately, but let's do it all together. What are the first five books of the Bible? Good. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
And grouped together, Joe and Ellie, you already told us this, but what are they called grouped together? The Torah, yeah. Or the Pentateuch, depending on if you're the Hebrew is the Torah, Pentateuch is your Greek. Um, what does Torah mean in English? The law. Thank you, Terry. Yeah. And what is the law? The rules. Yeah, the rules uh, that God gave Israel on how they're supposed to live, exist. Yeah, law. Most of the time, though, when we read through that, if you can read through it all, like, you know, there's moments where you're like, why are there so many genealogies? Who is this person related to? Um, most of the time, though, when we go back and we read Jewish law, we read it through our understanding of the law. And you think of our, like, Constitution or the Bill of Rights or even our Declaration. And, and so because of that, we, we have this Western view of law that's like government and code and enforcement, right? Because that's what law is for us. And Jewish law, then, when we read it, we think like, wow, God, that's a really extensive book of rules or like a really thorough governance, if you will, um, or legal code. And the essence of the law isn't actually rules and control. We read it that way because that's how we are as human beings, especially Western human beings. And we want the law to just be like black and white, right? Do this, don't do that, because we like structure and boundaries. Humans need boundaries, kids need boundaries, so do adults. But the problem is the essence of the law is something we can't attain. We can attain rules, right? I can, do, I can follow the law most of the time, speed limits, right? But the essence of the law is something we can't actually attain, which is the point. The essence of the law is love. The essence of the law is love. Hear Jesus' words in Matthew 22. He says, teacher, or somebody comes up to ask Jesus a question. He says, teacher, what, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And when we, when we begin to pull that back and take a minute and say, okay, God, if the law, if the essence of the law is about love, then it helps us to understand the categories of what God put into the law. And there's two primary categories for all of the rules all of the governance, all of the code that we read. And the first is about identity, right? Israel is a new nation, and God says, you are chosen, which means you're set apart. You're different. And to be different, you have to live different, right? If you live like everyone else, you're not really different at all. And so some of those different rules, some of those identity rules are things like circumcision or eating kosher, which means following the specific food plan that God had for them. You don't know what kosher means, just think of like keto. It's not what it is, but just like, it's like a diet, a special diet. Um, or keeping the Sabbath, meaning they took every Saturday and they did no work and they just honored God by being in temple and being with their families and focusing on him. And those rules, you could look at them as purely rules. You could keep them as purely rules. I did the things, I checked the box, I didn't eat bacon at breakfast. But the essence of those rules is not just that I didn't eat bacon. The essence of those different rules is showing or demonstrating loyalty to God. 
right? It's saying, I am choosing to follow you. I like bacon at breakfast, but instead I will have a lovely bit of oatmeal. (laughs) Porridge, manna, quail. Can we fry the quail? Um, And so, and and it's important for us to get these distinctions because we can look at the rules and get lost in them because there's a lot to read and it feels very heavy. But what God is inviting Israel to is he's saying, I want you to be loyal to me because your loyalty are, those are demonstrations of love. It's one of the ways you show me that you love me. And so that's the first category. And then the second category are rules about how they relate to one another. You can just basically consolidate them all down. And if I were to pick one word to sum those up, I would use the word justice. But I wouldn't use justice in, again, the sense that we tend to think about it, because our justice is very often retributive. And I would say the justice that God is getting them to in the law is about equality. Fairness isn't really the right term, but it is easier to think about justice in that sense when we're reading the law. God wants to create a, a world, a society of equality, where, they're, where the vulnerable are protected, where foreigners and the oppressed and women and children are safe, safe. Where if there's debt, there's a time where we quite literally have a national cleansing of debt and everyone goes back to a clean slate. That's God justice. That's what justice really is meant to be. And if you think then about all of those things, those are demonstrations of equity and equality in a society which are activations of love for one another. The most powerful way to love someone is to treat them as an equal, right? So we're looking at the law, and it's very easy for us to think about it in this control mindset and rule mindset. And God's saying, you can follow rules. What you can't do on your own is actually love. Because who is love? God. And Israel, though they were learning to connect to God, were actually quite disconnected from him. And he says, so you're not going to be able to follow my law because you don't know how to love me and love other people. And we have that itchy like, but I'm a good person or I'm enough. And the truth is, if we all sit back and think about it, we all can be loving, but not sustainably. Right? Like, I can love you, but I'm also going to like have beef with you at some point. We're going to have conflict. Our love in our human capacity is short-lived. It has capacity. It has limitations. It's conditional. And God says the law is calling you to unconditional love, and you just can't do it. Um, So it's meant to be. The law was designed to be a framework, a guidebook, an explanation of how to live into the fullest human experience with God and other people or basically a gateway back to what humanity was supposed to be like in Eden, what God had created us to experience. But Israel never lived up to it, and and Moses and the prophets tell us why. They diagnose humanity with hard hearts. That's the word that they use. I like that. Um, Who else had a hard heart in the Old Testament? Pharaoh, right? God's like, I rescued you, but you're still a lot like who you used to be. And this relationship doesn't work unless you're transformed. And so the law then becomes hard and heavy and full of guilt and shame because Israel tries, they want to follow it. 
There are multiple times in the Old Testament where they're like, God, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be loyal to you. We want to love you and each other. And it's interesting, just like Moses, or just like Jesus's five discourses in Matthew, Moses delivers the law in five discourses through the Pentateuch. And in between each big high point are like super low, low points where they're like, don't make any idols. And they're like, okay, we're going to make a golden calf. And then they're like, don't do this. And they're like, okay, we're going to do it. And, and Moses, you can feel his frustration, but it's the same frustration as us when we try and follow God in our own effort. We're like, I'm going to love you, God. I'm going to be so loyal to you. And, and, and we're not relying on the spirit. And so it's short-lived. Or even our love in our community, like, Again, we're going to have conflict, and if our love is rooted in our own capacity, it's going to end. It's not going to sustain. It's not going to be able to make it past hurdles and hiccups. And so the, the law and the prophets, they keep, or Moses and the prophets keep going back to this, and they're like, yeah, guys, we're, we're broken. The law is not really broken. We are. The law is a good thing because it exposes our brokenness. It shows us our inability to love. It points out the parts of ourselves that, aren't good. And, and that's a hard thing to look in the mirror and see. But God is going to come and do something so that that can be cleansed and removed from us. And so we see, I'm going to, Moses says in Deuteronomy 30, before he dies, he's like, the Lord's going to change your heart. You have a hard heart. You have a broken heart. You have a stubborn, stony, fill in all those fun adjectives. Your heart's made out of cement, a little cinder block. God's going to give you something alive and vibrant and, and more importantly, something capable of unconditional or sustainable love. Um, I love how he puts it in Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit, Holy Spirit, in us. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. You will be able to follow my law and be careful to obey my regulations. And the journey to that, man, oof, it was rough. We've read through the prophets. Like, they, they bombed it, but it wasn't, like, just a disappointment. Their whole society was, was sent into exile. Like, human love is why there's war, right? We see that all the time. It's why we otherize people. We create enemies and violence and chaos in our lives. And this is the dynamic then that Jesus shows up and starts teaching into, and he's teaching with great authority. They've never heard anyone speak about the law like this. But what he's doing is reinterpreting or bringing total clarity and truth to the thing that they've been dependent on. And it's what and how he's speaking that we need to catch in Matthew. So I just want to read one of the verses from before, Matthew 5, 43 to 44. He says, you've heard the law say that, the law that says, love your enemy, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, Jesus, say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't, it sounds so good, right? Like, love always sounds great. You're like, yes, God, like, that makes total sense. Doing it is a whole nother story when we think about it in the practical. And this is so altering that it would be no different that if Jesus walked in, stood right here and said, you've heard the Constitution that says, fill in the blank, you've heard the Declaration that says, but I say to you, you've got it wrong. 
That's how altering this was, as if, as if Jesus was quite literally coming and flipping it all on their heads. He says, because to, to Matt's point with the Talmud, they had focused on the law as rules and control, and they had added and added and added, trying to keep the situation, like new situations would arise, and they're like, we're going to make more laws because we don't have a law about this very specific situation. What do we do? We're going to tithe all, our, all of the things we grow, including all of our spices, and they made it harder and harder and harder because they couldn't get to the real essence of it on their own. And Jesus is saying, yeah, guys, that's not going to work. You can't climb the ladder of the law because it's more than just a book of rules. It's about loving unconditionally, and that's something you are quite literally incapable of. What the kingdom demands, the kingdom of God, is completely selfless, sacrificial love. And this is the mystery of faith. Like This is the radical part about all of this. As Jesus said, I didn't come to break the law apart. I came to fulfill it. And to fulfill it means that I am going to give you the very thing you need to live out unconditional love. And that is a brand new heart. And this part is so wild to me. I was like, how do you, God, how do you want to explain that this morning? And, and there's, there's a reason it's a mystery. Jesus lives as the perfect human who never once experiences a hard heart against God. He's tempted to. We talked about that two weeks ago. But he doesn't. He stays soft and tender and responsive to the Father and the Holy Spirit. He stays in obedience. He stays yielded or surrendered to God and his will. And because of that, he entirely honors God the way a human being was supposed to. But even more than that, he then is murdered by humanity who is living under our own conditional love. And so we, we throw all of our hatred and our violence and our envy and our anger onto Jesus through the cross. And it looks like in a brief moment that selfishness has defeated love, that, that violence has overtaken it, that darkness has swallowed love up. But then we have Resurrection Sunday, that moment where Jesus comes out of the tomb and he's like, death can't defeat love. Selfishness and violence and anger cannot defeat unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. We are tempted to believe it can every day in our world. We are tempted to want to choose the way of violence because it's the way that we are surrounded by, and it makes sense. We know that language. And Jesus reminds us, violence may look like it wins in the temporary, but it is not the thing that sustains. It will not survive. Love always defeats it. And so he rises again on that Sunday morning, and he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to give you my victory. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to put my whole, the Holy Spirit, my spirit in you. I'm going to make it possible for you to fulfill the law, not the rules, but the actual essence, the unconditional love for one another. Because that's what I've always created humans to belong to and understand. And I wish I could explain what that looks like, but all I know is what the Bible says, which is the, the moment we yield, the moment we give our allegiance to King Jesus and we say, I'm not following myself anymore, I'm going to give my, the control of myself to you, he says, I put my heart in you. Just like imagine that for a moment. Yes, King Jesus is like, I mean, you don't have to be like graphic, like, 
like that squeaky sound, but like, he's just like, I just imagine him like putting his hand on your chest, like there's got to be a Marvel movie about this. And he just, the stone, like it melts or it becomes tender again. I don't know what it looks like. I just know that it changes. Yeah, but like super warp speed. Although that's a pretty a great, actually I like that April. Because the reality is every moment from that moment is us learning how to live with a tender heart. One of the most powerful things we can recognize is that we have to mature into it. So like you're not gonna be super loving the moment that you say I'm gonna follow Jesus. We have to learn to be tender. Our minds change daily. We begin to see the world with that tender heart and we feel the tension and the tension is proof of growth. Right guys? Like that's not a bad thing to say like, "Ooh, I really want to, but I know I shouldn't." That's the Holy Spirit working in you. So don't fight those moments. Say, "God, look, I'm growing. I'm learning to have a tender heart." Now I'm just picturing Jesus with a meat tenderizer, April. Bush, bush, bush. There's moments where he's like, love better. <laughs> you can do it. Um, yeah, there's this piece. Yeah, Romans tells us. The whole book of Romans is just gold. God has put that in us. And so that's the challenge I want to leave us with today. Is like God, if you read through the rest of the Beatitudes, which is the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount, this kicking off in Matthew 5, Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of God looks like, but he's not explaining it in this like distant, this is what heaven's going to be like when you get there. The challenge of Jesus and his teaching in Matthew is he's saying, this needs to be your reality today. If you're following me, heaven is now and not yet, which means you need to start living like this now. And like I said, love sounds amazing, but it's really hard to do. Because the reality is, he says, and I'm just going to pick on the whole enemies one. Who are your enemies? Right? You don't. But the truth is, whoa, you're still going to have people that, ooh, mm. just a moment. We'll wait till the end. But, like, there's just this, oh, there's this really It's heavy to love God the way that he's called us to and to love people. And so I was just thinking about that. Like, it's a political season. Who are your enemies? You go to work, whatever your work schedule or whatever your day-to-day looks like. You have neighbors. You have family members. Who are you beefing with right now? And God says, you, when you yield to me, have given up the right to do that. And he's not angry at you when you still feel the tension. He's just calling you to unconditional love, which you need the Holy Spirit to help you accomplish. Romans 13, 8 says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The whole of what Jesus is calling us back to is being able to love God and love each other. And that only happens through him giving us his heart and then us learning how to live it out on a regular basis. And that's why we have each other for accountability, for encouragement, to confess to when we've bombed it, and to help pick us back up and say, yeah, but let's go and try it again. Right? So, like, let's stand up if you're able. We're going to move into ministry time, which is when we pray. Um, And I had, yeah, I didn't, like, yeah, just say this. If you're new to the vineyard, um, if you're new to the vineyard, we love to end in prayer, but this is our time to respond to what God has been doing all through the week or the morning or 
the message, whatever, wherever you got mm, that little like hit in the heart in a good way, this is your opportunity to just say yes. Um, so Holy Spirit, we invite you, like you have, you keep speaking truth that is meant to change us. So I just invite you to come right now, Holy Spirit, and I just feel like there is this initial invitation where sometimes we mess up or we don't follow Jesus faithfully, and then our first response is shame or guilt. Like, oops, I knew better. And that's not, that's not how the Holy Spirit grows us. It's, he doesn't grow us through shame. Shame is never going to result in lasting change, and neither is guilt. And so I just want to give you a moment this morning to let the Holy Spirit just free you from some of that. Yeah, Holy Spirit, just would you come and just show us your grace again. Show us mercy afresh this morning. Mistakes do not define you. More, Lord. Yeah. Just remind yourself this morning, I am forgiven through the blood of Jesus, and I am made new through the rising of Jesus. I am forgiven, and I am new. Testify to our hearts, Holy Spirit.